0: I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences.
1: <laughs>
2: For Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network, with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your designated pilot. Three seasons in now, and we're still the same, wide-ranging, anti-gatekeeping show for everybody, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along with the ongoing adventures of the Time Lord, our hero. Doctor Who. We talk about it all in this console room so come and step into our TARDIS and share the journey together here with us on Type 40. Here we are materialising again in your ears for more Doctor Who talk. But where? Where are we going? Which decade? And where? Geographically even? Who knows? All will be revealed. But firstly, it's time to materialise my companion on this edition of the show, my co-host, the original Hunatic and our TV industry professional. It's good to see you again, Simon Horn.
3: It's always good to see you, Dan Hadley. Love to be back again. Listen, if I could do this all day long, I would <laughs> do it. Who needs real life when you can do Doctor Who
2: podcasts? It's true. It's true. It's I could just do this scary. for my entire life. And of course when you talk about it with friends and fellow fans, whether you've known them for years or for days, for minutes, or you've never met them at all, it's easy to find common ground in the fourth yeah. or fifth dimensions, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's, I remember going back to, you know, going back to Doc Two conventions in the 80s when I used mm-hmm. to, to do a lot of those. And literally you would you would turn up. you wouldn't know anybody there, but immediately you just start talking to somebody about, I don't know, the caves of Andrazani or the wheel in space or something. It doesn't matter, whatever, because you know you're coming from the same point. When when you're a gas bag like me, then
2: it's difficult to just <laughs> shut me up. <laughs> it is you just put something out there, don't you? And you wait to see if the eyes glaze over or if they <laughs> blink into life and they go, Oh yeah, that thing. And you, yeah. You're either talking for hours and hours and hours, or you get the back turned, and a, ugh, as if it's the most outrageous suggestion in the world to start a conversation <laughs> with. But such is life, and such is the human race, and such is Doctor Who fandom. But have we got a guest for you this time, eh, Simon? Absolutely. We're, we've been waiting to do One this of the best. for a time as well, haven't we? Because this, this man is the master of his own Domain, But for this particular episode, we're opening up the frequently asked questions, which is Type 40's rummage and grovel through the mind of a fellow Doctor Who fan. That's coming up in a moment, but it's only fair to let you know that if you fancy doing some audio time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present or future is just a tap away on the device of your choice whether it's Sonic or not there's full details about all of that coming up a little bit later on and we'll also be checking in with the matrix of all knowledge that we call (laughs) the Fandom Podcast Network you'll hear some more about that all those other wonderful shows on the network too the idea with this is that we find that common ground that we've just been talking about Simon with any fellow fan but there are so many decades to Doctor Who and so many sort of extraneous things. You know, it's not just about the TV shows. It? it affects us and affects our lives in all these different ways. I can't think of anybody who's had a journey quite like this guy. So we're gonna be blowing mm-hmm. away some dust and playing with some favorite favourite toys, I suspect. Maybe sharing some old memories because you've known this guy for a lot, lot longer than I have, haven't you?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm.
3: Many, many years, we go back literally to sort of um, the late 80s but the odd thing is we only actually met for the very first time exactly two years ago. <laughs> so we've known each other for goodness knows how long <laughs> and only just met. Okay. Uh, and it's funny because when we met, it was just like we, we had known each other our entire lives. And I actually don't think we have stopped talking since then. We can't, you can't shut either
2: of us up, Dan. Whatever could be lurking in the cellar-like psyche belonging to our friend, artist, writer, curator restorer of the very fabric i think of popular culture and movie history it's neil cole all the way from his secret base of operations deep in the wilds of northumberland hi neil Hello. Welcome, to, welcome to type 40 i was gonna say welcome back to type 40. i forget you've welcome been on. you've been on
0: before I, I, yeah what an introduction i'm absolutely just thrilled to be here and i am super thrilled to be on the show with simon we have literally been yeah as, as simon says we we started talking two years ago and we really haven't stopped and we have <laughs> phone calls which go on we have to sort of yes. try and find a place to stop them when one somebody living with us probably says look well you just get off you know <laughs> it's stuff to get on with yeah 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 well both we both talk for for you know you'll have to stop me today this you know. is
2: why I've got Simon, because usually I do these, they're kind of like head-to-head things, these frequently asked questions, but new season of Type 40, we're going to start yeah. playing with some of the formats that we that we use, and also, Simon would never have forgiven me if I'd have invited <laughs> you back in and not got him involved to... Anything could happen because this is one of those conversations where Neil, you'll be pleased to know, as somebody who likes to likes to rabbit, it is all about you, my friend. This is about you, your fandom, wow. your connection to <laughs> your connection to Doctor Who, your friendship not just with Simon, but with perhaps across all of Fandom. We're gonna take it all in. When we found out that you were coming back on. We went through the Matrix's own sort of bio data. And although the Time Lords do keep that as up to up to date as they can, there are a mm. lot of gaps in yours. There's a few boxes left unticked and a few mm. zones just left completely blank. So we're gonna do our best to fill some of those. You, we'll there will be because
0: I have been a, an isolated fan for many, well, for most of my life. And it's only in the last couple of years through the museum mm. that I've actually got to know fellow fans. I knew Simon through correspondence in second. We would get on to through the Hoolitics initially, and I was literally living in a very quite remote area, and I'd never really. I had a best friend who and I we we shared our love of Doctor Who, and without him, it would have been just myself, you know. So it's a funny one, and I've only, I'm only just starting to, you know, get on. You know, <laughs> not get on. You know, hopefully I'm not that. But, you know, hopefully we get on immediately. But you know, I'm I'm only just beginning to get to know people. Um, mm. so it's lovely.
2: Yeah. Well you say that, but I still suspect that you may have heard some of these questions before because these are the things that get fired our way, both by one another, as Doctor Who fans, as Simon was saying earlier on, but even <laughs> by members of the public, the the not we or the normies, when they find out that we're into Doctor Who, you know, it could be friends mm-hmm. or family or whatever else. Say so you go out to the kitchen, right? You go to make a brew and then you come back in as punch, supping away. On, on the mug that you've got, with you know, it's festooned with Daleks or Ogrons and Sutek and all that sort of thing, and you might oh, is that a Doctor Who mug? Well, it's funny you should say that, and before you know it, you're right into the conversation. And these questions do seem to pop up. And the first one is the simplest of them all, Neil. How old were you or where were you when you first became aware of something
0: called, in inverted commas, Doctor Who? Right, and my, my earliest confirmed memory was that we used to go about every two months to Keswick, which is not that far, Lake District, not that far from us, very lucky, about an hour's drive. Yeah. And I went, once went with my dad. When the <laughs> pub was closed, because remember that was when there was actually opening hours instead of a free-for-all. Yeah, basically <laughs> we'd have this bit where we could just sit in the bar and dad would watch the end of grandstand and we'd be playing darts and I'd be missing the board, you know, and being, you know, very small. Doctor Who would come on on the pub okay. TV, and they would just be really cute, really sort of nice, because it was this really old-fashioned pub. And I remember the Green Death Maggots watching it. That's my earliest Doctor Who memory. So it was definitely Pertwee. And I remember Alpha Centauri very clearly, Agador. So the Peladon, I I'm, think it's probably Monster of Peladon, I was probably recalling. They were such strong images, the Ice Warriors, Alpha Centauri, but the one I can absolutely pin down, I remember sitting, watching with a bit of dilute orange pop and a packet of crisps <laughs> you know while my dad flung darts was the green death maggots absolutely do you, me- do you remember it what it was about the green death
3: specifically was it the maggots or do you yeah. remember specific yeah, scenes yeah, the maggots. for example
0: I, I, I mean I've always said I just remember them squirming around I think it was probably the scene they come along and they either menace the troops or Joe and the hiss yeah. I can yeah. see it and I can remember the cliffhanger and the music going That I remember just being fascinated with it but my dad liked science fiction so we will have been watching it and by the time it got to 1975, and and, and you know uh, Tom Baker's first season, I remember that absolutely clear as day. It's quite. Do standard. you remember the point at which you kind of
3: fell in love with Doctor? Because I'm guessing you wouldn't have fallen in love with that episode of the Green well,
0: Death. You, well, no, might not, have been fascinating, not... But... Right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to bring out Artifact Number One, gentlemen, if I may. Please do. Artifact Number One. I think. <laughs> it's the 1980s reprint sadly because my original I cut up and made a, a, a scrapbook now I'm trying to think what year this came out with we the all did it. so just yeah. for those well, of you who can't
2: a- see this Neil is holding very shiny copy of the Doctor Who it's, monster book was which was a we reprint
0: were- I got about 20 years ago and it's been yep. in a little poly pocket ever since but I had the original with the diamond logo and the poster in yeah. but I was I was always creative so I used to cut out anything I got try and rearrange it to make it my own, my own version of the narrative as it were and this book was just incredible because I used to go down with my dad to the pub on a Saturday afternoon to get bored. Let's be honest, in the early 70s, there was no toys, uh, uh, you know, or no sci-fi toys. I had a little tin robot, which I've got actually. The
2: standard toys you've got to imagine were sci-fi toys. Like yeah, a spinning absolutely.
0: Top. A spinning top would be a UFO, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a little tin robot, which was everything. So it was pre-Star Wars, pre-everything. And I, anyway, I just remember, if it was in the local newsagents... I could get, it. I would get it. My dad would get me it. So the, the monster book he came back with, I remember we used to go to the news agent and he got me the original copy. And it must have been seventy six because the Zygons are in it. Sounds I'm about right. So yeah, that's, that's, that's
3: the monster book is certainly it's an early, it's uh, early. an early book that came it's, out. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's season 76. thirteen, isn't it? And yet it's got the Zygons in the back. Just like all the was,
2: interiors to that one you know, are all in, all black and white photography, aren't they? Yeah,
0: and they are, it's very end. very
2: distinctive. Yes. And I, I remember first coming across that book. I've got a couple of different editions of it as well, in various states of disrepair. And the black and white yeah. sort of it made it all seem yeah. ancient to me. You know, in the mid in the mid eighties, you know, thinking God, yeah. the mid seventies was in such
0: this, a long time ago. <laughs> early seventies, mid seventies when this came out. There were certain pictures, right, blew my yeah. mind. Yeah, that book coupled with this this TV watching that was it i was absolutely a fan i wasn't aware that i was a fan i just knew that that was my you just knew you that liked it. it a Action. lot <laughs> yeah
2: yeah if you can't go between saturdays you know and you think about doctor yeah. who most days and the next saturday yeah. seems like a lifetime away and you count down mm. the days you're becoming yeah. a fan rather than a Well, ones.
3: that was the only place you could actually
0: get photos of stories that you remember that was yeah. it there was no magazine at well, that point Artifact number two. Hang
2: on. Oh, yes, Neil. Neil
0: has gone foraging. A little for like Indiana yes, Jones. Yes, so for anybody that isn't watching on video, Neil is actually it's sitting, I think,
3: in his attic room,
0: surrounded by Doctor Who stuff. A guy called Gavin has donated this, made this and donated it to the museum. And it's a beautiful scale replica, down to the sort of tarmac roof and guttering of the original Doctor Who it's exhibition incredible. door. And it was this. You've got this programme on the television, which is like nothing else at the time. Nothing else. And that's what people just don't get then you've got that book and then I came out I was then on a, a sunny day Blackpool age five and six got taken through those doors and there are the very items that you've seen on your television on the Saturday in front of you as a five-year-old seven six-year-old it was a blurring of fiction and reality and it was like San, it's a Santa Claus factor it yeah. was it blew my mind and then I came away with this which is again artifact number three now, I think. And inside, so you bought two- this
2: from the exhibition. So this was yes, the first is of the Doctor this Who poster magazines, wasn't it? That came yeah. out even before Marvel put out the weekly. Oh
0: yeah, this came yeah. out before that. Way and as Simon before. said, there was so little pictorial anything.
3: I remember picking that up from the Longleat exhibition, right? Uh, and, and just and just literally absorbing. it. I devoured yeah. it because the, because it was the only thing in print right. at that point that you could really get uh, apart from the Target novelizations. In the years is... in
2: between, they
0: become these sort of half-remembered shapes, don't they? And you wonder if they're yeah, as yes. if they're
2: as gruesome, if they're as vivid
0: as yeah. you remember. I folded it the wrong way, haven't you? Don't you hate it when you fold your poster magazines the wrong way and I they get all the, all the hell? Yeah. Don't you just hate that? There you go. The that Grand Marshal from yeah, he'd just been on the telly, and uh, where I lived looked a bit like it, and I thought he was the Bees knees. I thought that design. So you imagined and... that the
2: Santaron experiment had been filmed in your nick of the woods. Yeah.
0: I could see him coming down the hills out by my school. We used to play, you know. My friend and I we used to imagine, where, And it was just getting that clear photograph. Such at such a young age to get all that, that stimulus, really. That it's was, quite that telling it. that
2: you're pointing. Yeah. You're continually pointing at pictures of monsters. It does make me make me wonder. You've immediately gone to the darker, yeah. the darker, darker yeah. places. But I'm afraid I do have to ask you that other really, really obvious question: Who is your favourite? Doctor? Do you have a favourite Doctor, or is it more a case of you don't pick a bests? you've just got a My Doctor that is yours, that you latched onto as a child, and has always been unsurpassable in your affections?
0: I've thought of this a lot. I always say there's two. It's John Pertwee and Tom Baker. And I've, just, yeah, and I've just watched Day of the Daleks with my daughter, and my daughter and I watch Doctor Who every week. We have for the last few years. She's now ten, Yeah, and we watch... Half an hour on a Saturday, half an hour on a Sunday. The best way to watch classic Doctor Who, I always think, because you don't get that repeat of the sets within the same hour. So you get the you get the handful of sets in the half an hour, and yeah. it just works very well. It's, it's meant as half an hour, and it works perfectly. And my daughter loves it. Keeps now, it but, crisp, doesn't it? Day of the Daleks. I've just watched the scene with us, uh, where he's um, got uh, what do you call him, Aubrey Woods, the controller, and he's talking to him about. You know, he's just had a—he's a, a, just been roughed up by the ogrons, and he's just having his um, his wine and his cheese and what have you. And it's just the way he's talking to the controller Pertwee. is so calm, it's so collected, it's so controlled, and he's just absolutely magnetic. John Pertwee—he's got charisma and X Factor, just lying on a cushion <laughs> talking to Aubrey Woods about the Dalek.
3: And I always think he's the most forgotten of all of the Doctors, yeah. oddly. Everybody talks about Billy Hartnell because he was the first. Everybody talks about Patrick Trenton because he was the second one and he took over for what a hard job it was. Everybody talks about Tom Baker because everybody loves Tom Baker. Yeah, everybody really remembers good. Peter Davis. And poor old John Pertwee. It's just mm. that he seems the least respected yeah. and
2: the least
3: yeah. remembered, certainly of the classic. I, I think it's
2: because he made it look so easy. Maybe, you're I right? I really Dan. do. I think that he was the one who, you know, when Barry Letts said to him, play it as yourself, he literally. It as himself and that's why it comes across so effortless yeah. that's why he's got so he's so suave it makes it look like he's putting no effort into it when he uh-huh. he is he's just projecting in a different way and reaching a different part of himself and I think with the rest of it as regards being forgotten it's just the fact that somebody it's always going to be somebody's turn in that barrel when, when I was a kid I remember uh-huh. there was one book that I had and there was a chapter on each of the doctors the entire chapter on Patrick Trenton was actually titled the Forgotten Doctor. And now the mm. idea that Patrick Troughton is the forgotten doctor is ridiculous. Maybe
3: Troughton was forgotten because he, he stayed away from fandom for so long, um, until sort of the late mid late eighties when he started doing conventions. So maybe that's why he was sort of the, seen as at know, one point as,
0: as the forgotten one, doctor. One of the things I think about is I've heard a lot of criticism about him being sort of uh, you know, putting people down and being The establishment figure is what people yeah, say about him. The reason I don't like the new doctors full stop. Apart from maybe Eccleston, is that they're <laughs> very, 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 very smug. And you've got a doctor in John Pertwee who he's annoyed all, but for some reason, he's not coming across as smug. There's an integrity and something about him. He's not saying, I'm amazing all the time. He kind of infers it once or twice, but it's just not like that. The recent, all the new doctors, they just seem to be so damn smug, godlike. For me, I was a little lad who was bullied a lot. John Pertwee and Tom Baker for that matter, they both were these figures that as a young male, it was a different type of male figure. Someone who actually was okay to be intelligent. It was okay to be polite, that's okay. And all these things that I just thought were wonderful. And it was this role model that a man didn't have to be a Marvel character, didn't have to be this huge buff, a bit of a bloke bloke. And it was just something about that, which I feel is lost in the late and not cool. It's why a lot of the kids who come to my Doctor Who Club, right, are young boys. I'm going to be honest, there's maybe one or two girls come. And I can see them. They're loving the fact, this type of character. For me, I had very little money as well. So I used to go and hand me downs and I used to get bullied for that. I got bullied for everything, basically. And here was Tom Baker's doctor, for example, who was dressed absolutely not fashionably. And yet (laughs) he was wonderful. And it's like the recent doctors, it's all being cool, youthful. cool. No, this was... A man both like baker and Pertwee, they'd lived they were old enough to have had you knew off life as actors they'd had lives they would had experiences and you've just got to look at the biographies of both those men to know that you know one was a monk then he had to go into the army <laughs> the next day then he had multiple marriages all sorts of complications like Pertwee was on the hood all sorts of life experiences so this guy then was the doctor you just knew they had life experience and they earned the right to stand to to stand for humanity but i feel when i look at a young actor doing this as as a 50 year old man now i am not the same as i was when i was in my mid-20s i did not know half the time what i was talking about really and i just know that now i'm a different person and that's what age gives you, I think. I think sorry, he sorry. goes a little bit
3: further than that, though, Neil, because you're absolutely right in what you're saying there. I think he goes a little bit further in that, but basically what you're saying there with both mm. Pertwee and Baker, mm. uh, and I think you could say exactly the same thing, certainly Hartnell and, and Troughton. Oh, yeah. You're describing basically interesting people. Bless him. Matt Smith, David Tennant, as lovely as they, I'm sure absolutely. they are, and as yeah, good yeah. actors as they are, yeah, yeah. are they interesting? Am I interested in them? Brutal Truth is probably not, to be honest. They haven't got much interesting to say. Whereas Tom Baker, Pertwee,
0: yeah, Yeah, Baker's insane. His life is insane. One of the things I've always thought is he was in a silent order from mid-teens. He comes out nearly 20 and his dad kicks him straight out the house and he signed up to the army after being (laughs) in a silent order with all the swearing and all the... The match show and thirty six hours. What the hell?
2: You've never got to meet Tom Baker, but did you meet John no. Pertwee? mister I met
0: John Pertwee once. He when came about uh, two months before he died. Again, I, I'm telling you, I'm like you know. You talk about land of the sheep here. You know, there's a few sheep kicking yeah. around. I wasn't far from joining their ranks. Do you know what I mean? You know, but with, with a Doctor Who okay. T-shirt on. You know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so can you imagine my amazement in the early nineties? Uh, John Pertwee is coming to Hexton the main little town where we are. The little theatre, do as one man shot. But I was at the box office, and here we are, John Purkey's coming to here. I was in the front row with my mum, and my mum my had knit scarves for the battleship The Hood in the war. That's really? one of the things she did. And he was talking about his early life. And it was interesting because one of the things somebody said in the audience was, do you ever get sick of talking about Doctor Who? Because it was very much a general chat about him. And he said, well, yes, to be honest, because I do feel I've done other things in my life. Yeah.
2: Younger people don't realise just how famous John Pertwee was before he played yeah. the part. He was a massive and, star, yeah, okay, yeah. on radio as well, but the guy yeah. had done movies, both here, yeah. uh, uh, British yeah. and American films, and he'd been a, a, a figure for for decades, straight,
0: stretching yeah. right back to post-war Britain. I remember my mum, her sitting here, she was like a bit in awe, because she never went to the theatre, so it was like, wow, we're sitting next to John, John Pertwee's no. literally two yards from us on a yeah. stool chatting. He, I just said... Mum, you need to tell him. You knitted scarves for his battleship. I said he'd be far more interested in hearing that than what you know, what's your favourite episode of Doctor Who? And I spoke to John Levine when he came to open the museum and I said my mum wouldn't speak to him about that. Oh she and never said she didn't to, speak up? No, because she was too shy. Oh, no. And and I said I said, um to John Levine, I said, Am I right, John, in thinking that he would have been more and he went, been welled up if he'd heard that to think there was little girls knitting scarves for his ship because because he was just on leave when it went down. He was in Newcastle in blackout when it went down, believe it or not. Just very, very yeah.
3: quickly in, in concise form. Yeah, John Perkley was, was on HMS Hood, um, which sank during the war. He, he yeah. served for yeah. many years, but as Neil says, he wasn't on the ship at that particular point when it did sink during the war. And I think I'm right in saying just about most people were lost in the hood, weren't yeah. they? Most of, the, most of the crew were lost and he obviously survived because he wasn't on. And, and you're right, Neil, I think he would have welled up with it because he, he often used to refer to his days on H and S Hood, he would often yeah. come back to it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I wish I'd spoken up because it was a smelly. It was. A, it was a, it's not smelly. Sorry, it wasn't a smelly venue. It was a <laughs> small and intimate venue, so we. I could have said, and it was just you know I was being polite, but we should said now. I think it's probably my favourite. But Tom Baker. So if Steyer
2: four, had got his blaster, his Santorum blaster, to your head, you you couldn't pick which one. <sighs>
0: It's really difficult. I think I probably would, I think I possibly would pick Pertwee because when I put Pertwee on, it is a bit of a sort of a warm comfort blanket in a sense. Mm. There's something so damn nice about, there's a security, I think I was an only child, you know, it's this sort of, it was a parental, safe influence, which is another reason why the new series never worked for me, because suddenly the Doctor's fancying a young lass off the council estate. No, this was a Doctor Who who was a parent figure for children for all. He was, he was, really was... You're, you're right Neil And
3: I think what's interesting as well As much as I love Tom Baker There is a very yeah. different dynamic Between Tom yeah. Baker and John Pertwee Tom yeah. Baker is dangerous yeah. And you can't necessarily yeah. trust him The thing with Pertwee is He is mm. so, so reassuring You know, he used to yeah, talk a lot about How he, he used to see himself as the mother hen yeah. With his cloak around yeah. People protecting him And it's true So in my formative years You and I, Neil, are of an age Where, yeah. where, where we grew up <laughs> we with are. John Pertwee yeah. And, and so I went through those years and just been terrified of sea devils, of Agador, of, of ice warriors, you name it. And yet, Pertwee was the third doctor, as I knew. Well, as mm. Doctor Who, as I knew, I didn't even realize he was a third doctor at that point. Yeah. But he was such a reassuring presence there in all those episodes. He was always so grounded, so solid,
0: so yeah. parental, as you say, that you felt so protected while you were watching the show. You Come know, that on. moment he walked on the stage in Hexham to the Doctor Who theme tune. Um, but it, it, He was just a doctor.
2: With the third and the fourth Doctor, even though they're very, very different. I think those yeah. those personas and, the, and how formidable they both were. That's why mm. in both performances, in both characterisations, mm. when they get rattled and when things don't go the way they think they're going to do, I think particularly with Pertwee, then you really feel it because he was so commanding and so controlled yeah. when he starts yeah, to lose this, it. You know there's something to be really scared of.
0: I, I, I hate sort of going down on actors and actresses, you know, like, so for example, Jodie, when she's angry, I'm not feeling it. When Kurt, we and Neither Baker,
2: <laughs> Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, um, um, with Kurt, yeah. There's an authority to them, and again, part of that. It's funny when I was a, a teaching, and I first started teaching, I had trouble um, with discipline in my classrooms because I'm a silly bugger, really, and I'm too nice, really. You know, and I, I like a joke. And I remember going to my head at the time, and she went, Neil, don't worry about it, mate, because as soon as you get a few grey hairs, because I said, like, how do you do this? How do the kids just shut up when you've got a few grey hairs, Neil? There's something about the doctor, and when you've got a young person who might be your best mate or you might be, it's just mm. a different dynamic. I mean, obviously, some I, people love it, but it's a different dynamic. I, I still,
3: think, I, I still think it goes deeper than that, Neil. I, I, look, we won't go down a rabbit hole over Jodie Whittaker, but let's be honest: if Jodie Whittaker, every hair in her head was grey. She's never going to command the kind of of, of respect and <laughs> that attention. That expression,
2: a few grey hairs, that that sums it up so well. I, I completely get that. Back in the mid-90s, it was about a year before Pertwee died, I was mm. driving past a hotel on the Queensway, not far from Nostalgia and Comics, the long-standing Geek Emporium. And at the corner of my eye, as I was making a, making a turn in my car, looked to the right, I saw a flash of something that I recognised. And it was the Hoomobile. It was parked yeah. outside a hotel. Whoa. And I pulled, up, I, sort of, I pulled up at these, at these lights, I was yeah. waiting to go. And I thought, Wow. You, know, you, knew, you knew instantly just the fact that John Pertwee, there was a convention going on in that hotel. John Pertwee was there. I couldn't see the man.
0: I'd All I could see in. was the I'd vehicle. I'd have to go into that room. If
2: I'd seen that, I would have stuck But was, was Somehow, Neil, he was projecting not just yes. from
0: inside that building, yeah. but out, you know, 100 you imagine, yards or whatever. Can you imagine seeing John Pertwee turn up in the Who-mobile, turn in? The first time I saw Dr. Who, well, in I took my Doctor Who club at school in a holiday. I took them to meet Colin Baker at a little tiny school about about a few miles from the school. He was turning up this tiny little event. And a guy knew I did a Doctor Who club. And he said, look, Colin Baker's coming to do a talk. Would you like that? Yes. We'll come and see. Right. Colin Baker came in and just peeped in the window and waved. And it was this sense of, oh, it was fantastic. It was, lovely. <laughs> it was lovely. But can you imagine John Pertwee pulling into a gruddy car park in the Who-mobile? Getting out as the doctor, which he just bloody well looked all the time anyway. <laughs> I just think I'd have passed out probably. Moving on to the
2: uh, the companions, yeah. the people who are at the doctor's side. I'd like to know, okay, what's Ooh. what's your dream team for a start? Which do you think works best? Do you like the one doctor, one companion rule, or do you favour the sort of crowded tardis? You like a few people giving him a hard time, oh, getting him into God, trouble. Know?
0: Do you know what it is? My friend Nigel, my best mate, up here, we grew up together. We're both only children. We're both just like, we? we just, we just we support, we support, we're a self-support mechanism up here in Sheepland. Anyway, he, um, he was always in the Companions. He was like always talking about the Companions. And I was never, because I'm monster mad, you know, I love monsters. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't really stick anyone. So uh-huh. I just never got that much into it. I think Sarah Jane Smith was, was amazing. But you know what? In, re- in re- if I'm, one of the things I love to watch every so often is the first few stories of William Hartnell. And I love how it kicks off. I love, so do I. um, you know, Susan and, uh, Ian. Uh, I went to my my first and only big Doctor Who convention in 2013. My wife was in labor and she said, no, just go. I bought the ticket a year before William Russell was there. And I, I just thought, my God, I, I I've got to meet William Russell. He, he was there at the start, and I love William Russell's character. And I, I just love that whole few stories. And I love the fact that it's at that point it's un, it's not been messed about with. It's pure, untainted. Stuff. It, it's, this, it's untainted, yeah. And it's it's not being fan storied about. It's just lovely. And I went, I paid for this extra ticket so I could go in the evening and meet him as he came in. And he was absolutely beyond what I was imagining. He was an absolute gentleman, and I, I was great. Then I ran back to the hospital long story, <laughs> won't bore you with it So anyway, very understanding wife how did that happen? I don't know I'm not divorced, I'm still, you know I've got room like this in the <laughs> house Dad, and I've not been divorced it's quite extraordinary, it is extraordinary and I even have little figures everywhere and I'm still not divorced anyway, <laughs> but I digress do you know what really annoyed me and I want, God. you know, frankly Moffat's head should be on a spit for this okay, How sorry. the hell sorry Stephen if you're
2: that? listening mate <laughs>
0: How the hell? And well, Stephen, please contact me and let me know why you didn't do this. Why when, when you know, Susan, sorry, Ian and Barbara go back to London at the end of the chase. When you are celebrating 50 years and you've got a cast of very elderly actors and you could have put somebody from that original first episode in to the special. He could have been in the National Gallery as one of those guys who sits retired just watching the pictures. Ian Chesterton should have been in that show. And when I asked him, I said, would you like to be in it? That day, he went, I'd love to be in it, but I don't think they're interested." And I thought, you bastards. Do you know? I don't know why this? they didn't
2: do that, because obviously William Russell and Caroline Ford were both in an Adventure in yes. Space and Time.
0: And I just thought in that story, when I actually, what I did watch that one. I don't watch many new shows. There was the, the National, you know, there was the gallery in London, the National Gallery was in, where they were viewing yeah. the paintings. Ian Chesterton, retired teacher, it struck me. Oh, he could have easily just been sitting there, and there could have been a little scene where the doctor even just went and then it passed. But he was there. I knew uh, Ian Chesterton. I'll was stand there. up for and you, Stephen. I'll stand up for you. Taken he, he did get Ian Chesterton in there a
2: little bit. His name was on the board of the chairman of the governors of Cold Hill School at the very, very start. Not but, impressed. But no, I think I'm coming around to Neil's way, way of thinking here. Uh, yeah.
0: You've got the first, you've got someone there. who is alive who's still got his marbles who worked with william hartnell who was on set who went into the ruddy jungle with the cavemen who then went and saw the very first kusik daleks and you don't bother to give him a cameo in the 50th anniversary you so, must be so, out of your is bloody it, mind. Is it a That's two horse? I'm is it
2: a two horse race for you then between best best companion, favorite companion, Sarah Jane Smith? Ian, Ch- Ian Chesterton. Which one?
0: Um, I would. I would. No, I would say all rounder. I, I probably would plum for Sarah Jane because she was just so damn good at it. Well, but
2: everybody goes. For it, it, it's funny,
3: isn't it? I, uh, because because just about every companion, and every doctor is divisive in some form or other. Some people like them, some people don't. I don't think I've ever in my entire life heard anybody say, "I don't really like Sarah Jane Smith." I don't. Like, I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say, "I don't like Sarah Jane Smith." Nobody. Whereas people always say, "I don't like Tegan," "I don't like Adric," "I don't," yeah. you know, whatever. Everybody loves Sarah Jane. I think it's
2: and, because and, she's and, an archetype. I mean, when she first came into it with Pertwee, you could say there was a gimmick, there was the women's lib thing, there was the journalist thing. That was just what she did. It was never who she
0: was. And I think that's yes. the big, no, big difference. I, to be honest, I don't really dislike very many, to be honest. I've got no great dislikes. So, but it's more just, if you're going to say which yeah. one. I mean, in The Five Doctors, right, when Sarah Jane came back in that, it was pretty damn good, wasn't it? You yeah, know? yeah. And she got a good um, chunk of the action as well, it didn't she? Again. It, it, it's...
2: People talk about the bit where she rolled down that little hill, but really, that's a, that's a split second. Really, you've got yeah. you've got at least half an hour, forty minutes worth of good Sarah Jane stuff in that story. I think she yeah, did herself enough, proud.
0: I love, um, Leela again. Leela, I mean, is is good, very very good. But um, I never quite got the savage thing in the same way. I don't know. I do like. I mean, I think Louise James is wonderful. I just think um, I never quite got it as much. I think. Um, I think just Sarah if there's an X I do think there's an X factor in all art. You know, in artwork, okay. visual support in all sorts. And I think sometimes you just hit gold. And I think I'll be honest, I think Pertwee Baker and Liz Sladen are pure gold. They kept managing to hit Pader
2: time after time after time yeah. on that show, didn't they? And yeah, yeah, even defying the change of the lead actor and the yeah. and the regular cast and the production team even. They just seem to have this magic touch with it, of being completely in sync with the audience. Might have got as good
3: again, but it certainly didn't get better.
2: And it's
0: certainly, you're right, it is to do the production team as well.
2: I was wondering about these Doctor Who viewings that you have with your daughter. Are you watching the stories in sequence, or do you pick them at random?
0: Right. I pick them at random, but I do seasons now. When we first started, Tilda was about four or five. So the black and whites, being perfectly honest, she just would not sit through them always want i you know i've never watched i've never done the pilgrimage which is something i always want to do from yeah. start to finish but i've always wanted to do it with someone rather than alone you know what i mean because yeah. be i don't have a lot of time because i've got so many things going on so it's with my daughter what i tend to do is watch blocks of series i've got a couple of the blu-ray sets not more because basically i am so all my money goes into the museum and the reason i can afford the museum because i don't buy a lot of merchandise now which it, it does frustrate me so I did. What I found is I found that the Blu-rays, you can buy them on a sort of a, there's a European or US release of them. I think it's US release. That's right. Yeah, that'd and be they're cheaper. A, they're blinking great because they come in really robust plastic casings. Don't take up as much space on your shelf, which is an issue for me. And they're identical. So I watch them seasonally. But I'd love to sit and do the pilgrimage with Tilda or frankly, any living human organism that will <laughs> sit with me long enough to watch them all. Okay, so yes,
2: by the pilgrimage, what Neil means there is going from yeah.
0: an unearthly Earthly Child all the way up to
2: Survival.
3: Yeah, and what's, yeah. and, 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 and yeah, interestingly, and I, I've never done the pilgrimage, yeah, I right the way through, but I've but I've kind of, um, since I've started doing the Blu-rays, uh, well, since they have started releasing the Blu-rays and I've been buying those, I've been watching those as a season in the yeah. correct order. And that's the first time, literally since since transmission, that I have watched anything in any form of order I would dip in and out of stuff, but but I started watching them in seasons now, in a block of seasons. Well, and I it started is with,
0: with, with Matilda, what I did was, once we got season 12, I got the Blu-ray, and I thought, right, we're going to now go from start to finish, from, blue- from season 12. So we did season 12 last year, right through to Survival, which is really interesting. They do fly past, actually. I mean, we watch a roughly two a week, two episodes a week, but they do fly, sadly, fly quite quickly yeah. past
2: i've done the pilgrimage once just once wow i started watching on the 1st of january 2000 yes. and i carried on and i finished this is how i've never been great at binge watching everybody i finished about i think it was around four weeks before the fir- the very first christopher eccleston episode of doctor who wow. so 2005 you five so, years to do then. so bear in mind that when i started it i'd got no idea doctor who was coming back Yes, we did. It take me. I went from An Earthly Child right the way through to to, uh, the TV movie. And yeah, Yeah. so uh, timed it just right as luck would have it. And I'd go for, there'd be times in that where I couldn't watch anything for two or three months for various reasons. Because in that time, I'd I'd had children, I'd done all these other things. I'd got a really strange working pattern then, you know, which was quite unsociable, sorry. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd pick it up and put it down. That's why it took so long. But it was almost Mm. like it was meant to be. And so yeah, that finished 15 years
0: ago. I haven't done it since. I have this, this dark, not dark thought, but I thought, you know, I'll probably end my days. I'm 50 now. I thought I'll run my museum. And then I thought in my twilight years, in a care home somewhere, yeah. I'll do the pilgrimage. Yeah, we could sit and watch it together, Simon. We could sit and out. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm retiring to the same care home as you, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll like, just all... sit in the big telly. There'll be all the other people sitting there sort of in silence well, lonely, so we'll be sitting be there going, come on, get the crusades on. Come oh. on. <laughs> and
2: Neil, think of the symmetry to that. You know, you yeah. started off watching it in a room full of people in a pub on a, on a telly and then you could, yeah. you could finish up and it, it all goes full circle. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Like yeah. You talked a moment ago about merchandise, how you don't buy it anymore. And early yeah. on we talked about your The Doctor Who monster book. Was that the first piece of merchandise you ever bought?
0: If not, I, what was and what I, was your first yes. toy? I don't know which came first, but I have managed to keep my very first Dalek. I think the monster oh, okay. possibly came after this. This was
2: dun dun dun.
0: Yes, oh, it's oh, my the 90, Lewis 19, Marks. My, so 1970s Lewis Mark. And I can remember Putting the batteries in the bottom, little battery box here. Now he's been in the bath, bless him, to re, you know, to re, relive those stories of the Dalek invasion of Earth as seen in Doctor Who Weekly, of course. Yes. So he, he would go around, bless him. And I remember, I hate, I'm not, I'm trying not, I'm not after a sympathy vote here, but I just came from zero money, right? So to get this was my Christmas present that year, and it was in a little box, and I was just, Oh, you know, I mean, is that just, the original
3: one? There is that the original Louis started yes you know from Christmas.
0: Yes, this is it, and you can see that the, the these went off. I think the, the sucker was the last arm to stay on. It was just a magical object, and I remember putting it on the floor. My parents' bedroom, we were still asleep on Christmas morning, and it was going around, making a riot old palaver, flashing, banging into stuff. But I knew even then it wasn't accurate, but it didn't matter. You know? and it's funny, I, isn't it? You the just car weren't car bothered car. by I mean, I had
3: the palatory talking Dalek, and I was obsessed with that.
2: I think it, so it starts was- with a Dalek for a lot of us. It started with me, for me with Daleks as well.
3: Yeah, sort of, I, yeah, I remember it starting with me with, with, with Daleks, when I, I remember making a little Daleks, I can't remember how old I was, but I remember making one out of out of just an upturned, um, I can't remember whether it was a yoghurt pot or, or, or um, just a paper cup or something like that, it never looked very good, obviously, yeah. um, but I think you're right, I think Daleks are, are the thing that kick off.
0: As I got older, it was like I loved all the monsters, and there was, for a long, long time, uh, you, you you really struggled to get anything but Daleks and Sidemen, but... There's a lot, I I love the Wirren, I love, uh, you know, Tractators, I love all these creatures, they're great, you know, so you want, it was just, it was just a bit frustrating at times that you always went to the dots, which are obviously big sellers and that's what merchandisers went for. Yes, it is time
2: we took a bit of a break just for a couple of minutes because, uh, yes, Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, is a space book production for the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network. And we'd be letting you down if we didn't fill your ears with talk of all the other shows on the network. Here's a word about all of that, and we'll be back with Neil and Simon in a couple of minutes. Check it out.
1: Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to the Fandom Podcast Network and all of the other awesome shows we have to offer. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture news podcast. Blood of Kings, our Highlander podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp. The Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and her favorite pop culture topics. Enzo, the NFL podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville podcast. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s and 90s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a new Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Facebook under Fandom Podcast Network. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom.
2: Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, now let us clothe you too. Head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of the team colours for all those shows on t-shirts, hats, mugs, and a TARDIS full of other items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the network continuing to fill your ears with 100% fabulous fandom goodness. Back with Neil Cole talking Abe about his history with Doctor Who and particularly monsters. That was timed absolutely perfectly because many think Neil, it isn't just you. Many say that the true stars of Doctor Who, they are the yeah. creatures. They are, they are the monsters. For you, this is going to ring doubly true. I can tell that already. Do you have a favourite Doctor Who monster? Is it
0: next yes. to impossible? Yes. Yes, no, it's not impossible at all. I've got one. Okay, absolutely. this is easier than picking a doctor. Bro, this is Gosh. an easy question, easier than picking a doctor. The Sontarans. Whoa! Mind tuning! Oh, this is new. This is
2: it. new. Go on, tell me more.
0: I think they're absolutely stonkingly wonderful. I think Lynx and Styre are two of sci fi's all time great alien races. They are beautifully written, beautifully fleshed out, beautifully designed, beautifully designed with masks that are just wonderful. It was the the, the the unveiling and the head, and then Steyer particularly is my ultimate, probably characterization, links because he's such a wonderfully rounded character, and the fact and as well he's got a lovely mission. He's just taken the wrong turn and crashed. There's nothing else. He's having a bit of fun while he's there, but just look, lads, go on. I want to watch people kill things because that's what we are like. But really, can you just let <laughs> us get on and mend me ship because I want to go. Thanks. Which is a really refreshing. It's not pretentious. It doesn't say anything. You know, there he is, and then Steyer. I actually spent a night camping on Hound Tor in Steyer's Rocks, where he landed his ship, with my collie dog. Seriously, I did. Wow, well, just the two Anyway, of you. I've got the yeah, but um, i was sharp out in the morning. But anyway, uh, there's, a li- there's a little, there's a little, there's a little cafe, mobile cafe called Hound of the Basket Meals, because it's actually the rocky outcrop, um, Hound Tor, where they, where Steyer was, <laughs> is um, where Conan Doyle envisaged the Hound of the Baskervilles. So it's the Hound of the Basket No, I a no idea. A little, and I remember when I, they left me, they were the last people there in the night, right? They were, like, And it's honestly, it, it's remote. So there was this little van and I knew they were going. And I was just like, oh, well. And I had a cup of tea and I said, well, well, we'll give you another cup of tea, love. Just leave your cup and plate here for the morning. We'll pick it up. And then I just climbed up into the rocks, my little tent and the dog. And it, I'd be lying if I said it was warm and inviting, but it was, you know, I love it. That's cool. Like, you know, anyway in the museum i have a gal rifle one of the only gal guns from this you know there's only three made two rifles and the, and the pistol i was amazed to get that but going back steyer is cruel his mind his mask is just this smile but he says a sadistic it's a spread soft, smile yeah and it's just genius genius and the costume i mean james h's in the costume design just a genius and all you need to do with that design now was re- make it robust, but keep it. And I think it was McKinstry. What do you call it? I forget his first name. Peter McKinstry. For, yes, for the new show, did a wonderful update with this horrible, cruel face. I've it seen in- it. Yeah, he's got a big yeah. scar
2: as well, yeah. hasn't he?
0: Yeah, and I just thought, whoa, there's your Sontar. And They he didn't go with it. No, he'd respected James Atchison's design. He'd updated the mask a bit, but it was just this cruel... To me, they are the bullies of the playground. They're The lads who used to kick me in advanced into, they've just bullied and kicked the hell out of everything in their way. And they're just nasty. It's funny, Dan and I were only
3: talking about this the other day, because my favorite monsters by a long way are Sontarans as well. And I I just have such distinct memories of that, of of the first time I ever saw a Sontaran, which was episode one of The Time Warrior, when it went out in 74. And I can still distinctly remember that cliffhanger to episode one, when the helmet comes off. I just absolutely freaked, and that's yeah. gone into my psyche. My,
0: my memory was because I'm—I think I I'm must be about two years younger than you. I think you are. My mind—I think I definitely saw links because I remember recalling links when I saw Steyer, but it was the reveal of Styre which blew me away. And I remember Dad and I saying, "Oh, it's the—they're back, they're back!" You know. It's funny because you know today's monster making methods are so precise and everything else. It's interesting that. The monsters. Then I, I spoke to, I had an interview recently with Stephen Mansfield, you know, who did the yeah. uh, the monsters for the Sylvester years. years.
2: yeah.
0: Yes, and he's a genius, you know, brilliant. He, I said to, so why do you? Because we agreed. He said, there's something about the monsters in the classic show. And I said, Stephen, what do you reckon it is? He, his, his opinion was, it was a theatrical background. You get monsters now; they're made in a very much a sausage factory kind of way. They tend to be all sculpted, all cast, all silicon, all this. And I'm not knocking it at all. But there was something about the theatrical the way you'd get the costume department mixing with the makeup department mixing with and there was just i don't know what it is exactly but again it's about x-factor that original HSN costume
3: my theory on all of this is it's in a simplicity of design and i think yeah. the, the problem for me personally with with most of the of the, of the new series stuff and certainly the sontarans are the absolute key example of this it's over design yes. uh, you look at those mm-hmm. original ray q sig daleks you look at the original atchison sontaran mm-hmm. and they're so simple and they're bold and they're confident designs the designer right. knows that great. they don't need to do a lot it's yeah. keeping it simple. Whereas and these it's, days, it's a, you've got to it's over-design a, it all.
0: It's a silhouette. It, yes. The Sontaran has this silhouette. Now, the one thing I'll say about the MFX Sontarans, is that Christopher Ryan, who played um, yeah. or whatever it's called, yeah. He his mask was really good. The actual silhouette of them was really rather good, in as much that they were they got the upright, they got the top, and they got the sort of fact that they're little bully boys, That is, the little thugs, they're the football thugs of Doctor Who. If they'd just been gunmetal, powder blue, it's not a thuggery colour to me
2: I can't make all of that pain go away but I can at least reassure <laughs> you in the fact that the Centaurans, aren't you back on the show
0: for series go 13 on. stop and it you're they're... winding me up Dan you know what you're doing we know to... they've got the smallest feet ever they're back to gunmetal grey though is that yeah they are but they're, they're very fussy
2: we know you, you've restored all these costumes and monsters and props and all the rest of it for your wonderful museum, the, the, the museum of classic sci-fi. But the you're aware of a phenomenon that's taken fandom by Storm really in the last 15 to 20 years, the phenomenon they call cosplay. Have you ever climbed inside one of those outfits? Would you ever cosplay not just a monster, but a character, a doctor, a master, a villain, anybody? If you could cosplay as anything,
0: what would it be? Quite interesting. If I was going to cosplay, it probably would be a Sontaran. I did as a youngster, when I was about 12, make a Sontaran costume and was very proudly poncing around in it, <laughs> uh, looking like a complete idiot, probably. I've made Daleks at school, two accurate Daleks at school for Doctor Who Club. And I remember we took it out in a day din- through the school dining room. It was a grey Genesis type. <laughs> and we put someone in it, a kiddie, for the first time when we Doctor Who Club. And we had such a great time. You know, I've been to a couple of little events, not many, but my thoughts on cosplays, it's just an amazing thing. It's not my thing, That the, the, the work that goes into it. It's um, a different kind of so, art
2: form, isn't it? It's a Oh it is, kind. And I
0: think, this is what I, I say about the museum here, is there are very few replicas in here. In fact, the only replica pieces I do are bits to complete that literally don't exist, or because of massive prices,
3: out of interest, Neil, I, I remember going,
0: um, I'm trying to think where
3: it was, one of the one of the main exhibitions a couple of years back. And I remember seeing yeah. a, 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 a Warriors of the Deep Sea Devil there. But yes, one, the it. one that was particularly dist- distressing yeah. for me was the Warriors of the Deep Silurian, which was actually lying on its back. They hadn't even bothered trying to to, to, to put it up right. It was lying on its back. I think it must have been in the Cardiff exhibition. And it was literally Virtually, either in pieces yeah. or falling apart. Now, I mean, is there any hope for that to be put back together again? Do you think, or is it? Right. You know, should we no. should we be doing something with it now, or is it just going to rot pl- and fall
0: to pieces? Here's the problem, Simon. The BBC will not part with anything. Obviously, they've got go-to people to do things, and they're fully professional at doing it. So they charge fully professional rates. There's a, um, a restorer in America very famously, he doesn't start any work unless it's a thousand pounds. That's for mm-hmm. the smallest job, which in fairness to, to people, when you look at the hourly rate, we're so used to mass produced items that we're so used to paying peanuts for everything, but they're mass produced. When you then go back to specialist artists, it costs. I have done everything at no cost because I just love them. Like this, this vervoid don't sort this soon, it will drop to bits completely. It was sold at Bonham's, it went to New Zealand, it was in a climate where it was moist and warm and it has just deteriorated horrendously. Now I've got it on a mannequin and I am now going to really go to town on it. The salurine you're talking about, I know it well, it's been shoved in and flattened and now it needs, it needs probably somebody like myself to be honest, who will work on it for no money, who will just love doing it and then, because or they'll need to pay somebody thousands of pounds to repair it, which they have done.
3: If that was to happen, how much of it would left being original and how much would they have oh, to there's, replace, do you there's think? big
0: chunks come off that one now. The worst story, if you don't mind, tell me to shut up if you're fed up with hearing this. The Garm was the worst one. A guy who, I don't know his name, basically bought about 30 grand's worth of stuff.
2: When you say he bought all that stuff, yep. where would he have bought it from? from this direct from the, the BBC?
0: yeah no this was the 20th right a big day for prop collectors in doctor who and for my museum for that matter was the 2010 bonhams auction mm-hmm. blackpool museum shut the bbc at that point did not want to acknowledge the classic show you know it was like they were distancing them, themselves from yeah, the classic yeah. show they realized suddenly that oh we don't actually want to sell them there's actually some money still in them so they then went to Bonhams, and They said to Bob, we want to stop the sale and said, well, I'm sorry. The catalogs have gone worldwide. If you're prepared to pay for all the recall on all the catalogs and all the pre-bids and all this, we'll do it. And they'd be like, oh no, no, no. So then they were sold. Now the thing was, I knew exactly what I was doing. I went for a couple of props. A, I could have a chance of winning against the big budget (laughs) guys. I love monsters as well. And I love the, the little monsters, the B monsters. I've always, you know, so I saw Mestor. I thought, well, okay, he's not the most popular. He's complete. I've got a good chance of doing something with him. Go for him. So I managed to win those. One guy bought the ancient one, a mandrel, the Tractator, and the Garm. And he cool. then stored them in a prefab unit on a trading estate in broad sunshine. And he just left them because he didn't know what to do with them. He then realized they were dropping to bits badly. And this was a year after the sale. He put the Garm on eBay. I went to get it that morning. And I remember seeing in the sunshine the Garm. And for anybody, you know, rubber and sunlight. Whoa!
2: So he bought these things on a, on a whim, with more money than yeah. he really knew what to do with, and just didn't really know how to look after them, how to care for them, nope. and they and when I went fell into this, when I, went into this care.
0: I went Yeah. I went into this room that morning, right, and I knew I was getting the gun I'm going to drag him away. And I was like, thank God, because I love the gun. But there was yeah. a tractator, and there was a mandrel just dropping a bits, and then the ancient one, which is the most beautiful costume, was in another sunlit table, it was just desiccated. And I thought, well done, BBC, because this is heritage. There's so many Doctor Who fans who will utterly want to see these again. And this was taught to me, mismanagement, a failure to recognise the importance of these objects.
2: And to have done that right at the height of Doctor <laughs> Who's you new popularity as well. It's quite yeah.
0: extraordinary. It's classic corporate thing you see with my with my museum it's funny because there's another museum opening in L- uh, london somewhere soon science fiction and, and film which is quite amazing i think it's more of a, a group thing for me i am obviously a soul i went for sole trader as a business because even setting up as a charity costs money legally and i just didn't have the money to set up really i'm a not-for-profit it's a tiny income i get from the museum um, it just keeps the lights on and gives us a little bit extra and it goes back into the museum. For me, it, it's absolutely about the heritage of this stuff, this show and these objects are just so important to me. And I see that when other people come in and they thought of them just being just like that Silurian Simon. When I you know what frustrated me when I saw that is I thought you've had that. yes, you could have just even lent it to me. I would have done it.
3: If they're not going to do anything with it other than watch it rot, they might as well just <laughs> give it to somebody like you and let them and just
0: it. Yeah, and they won't do it because obviously I can't pay them umpteen thousand, mm. and it just it's corporate culture, isn't it? And
3: something else that's that's frustrated me uh, is seeing these these various auctions where where, as you say, literally the show's heritage. Ninety percent of the show's heritage has been sold off to private invet- uh, investors. Now yeah. that's fine. But, but, but we now realise that 90% of the show's heritage now resides behind closed doors and we will never see that stuff again now it might be beautifully display, displayed for those people and it might be really well preserved and that's great so it's not falling to pieces but it's still something that we're never going to see what is in this museum of yours up in Northumberland and I'd recommend anybody to go and see this <laughs> is that yeah. it's your private collection but you've been generous enough to put it on display for
2: everybody to go and see. This is the point of the show where I usually steam in and ask people, Mm. you see, about Doctor Who and the collector's instinct. Not just merchandise, Mm. but absolutely anything. And about favourite pieces and about how serious a collector they actually are. But it (laughs) seems a really moot point when I'm talking to Neil Cole of the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi. Your collection, your doctor who life really is there as simon said for all to see and to walk around it's there it's there manifest all the love and what money you've been able to put into it is there too but all the love and all the hard work Do
0: you know I'll tell you what it is Dan the thing about the museum is very much this as you get on a little bit in life you realize that you know time is limited yeah so it, it's like yes it is my collection but it's not really my collection it's my collection for 20 30 years hopefully if i'm lucky and then who knows what will happen it'd be wonderful if one of my children or a fan or somebody took on the collection so that it keeps going there's just no point in having this stuff for me pleasure is seeing people coming in and finding pleasure in seeing the things again as i did for years at blackpool the second blackpool museum particularly david boyle's museum was really important because i could drive you know from in about an hour you know it took me about an hour and a half i used to go down about once a month
3: You've got to realise, Neil, you're
0: pretty much unique
3: in that respect. There, there there, really isn't, as far as I'm aware, anybody else doing what you're doing, which is putting their own personal collection of yeah. unique items well on display it's in-
0: for the it, public. It's in- well, it's interesting, Sam, because one of the things I'm having to do here, because I've been shut since mark written The Museum Guide, and. And also doing little models and doing the displays it all takes time in the restoration so i needed to get more time into the museum but obviously it obviously comes with financial i've dipped financially um so i'm going to start on patreon because i've had quite a few fans i think if sort of recognize that what i'm doing is you know i am here and i'm going to go on patreon and because again i came from nothing i don't want anybody not to be able to join and feel part of what i'm doing do you know what i mean I want to be able to sort of start so i'm going to start a little patron thing where you can join and we'll have maybe little web chats and it's the community feel i guess of this collection and i guess it's that shared memory and this just becomes a point of where you can come and visit to get that that sense point of contact deal- and,
2: to, and to feel invested and, and like yes yeah, to yeah. promote that same that same feeling you had about the blackpool yeah. event so I, I never met david boyle but he's a he's a character that people talk about quite a lot he lived and breathed his exhibitions and things
0: he, that he worked on, didn't he? um if you read uh, bedway Gullage's new exhibitions book is quite fascinating Um when you actually read about what he went through there was a horrible factory fire and he went in and he grabbed all the molds and stuff he was the guy who founded D- uh, Dapol, wasn't he? Who made yeah, action
2: figures absolutely. all through the late 80s, yeah. right the way through to the yeah. early 2000s. And of course, the Dapol site was also the location mm-hmm. of a Doctor Who exhibition. And when yeah. Dapol lost the rights to do Doctor Who figures, he then put on the second Blackpool yeah. Doctor Who location that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So, this is a man who spent 20,
0: 30 years very much living and breathing huge, Doctor Who. Huge investment into the site. The BBC charged him storing their props this is what i didn't realize was that they were going to get rid of them he said oh gosh we've put them on display at the Dapolf place well oh okay so they charged him and effectively he was clearing out their warehouse providing beautiful displays for them all and then they withdrew that at some point which is when he went to blackpool and there was a fight there was all sorts of, it's a heck of a story actually I, I had no idea what he'd gone through but a lot of it he had to create the displays for the collection it wasn't like the bbc came in a bit like you know the the more recent um touring museum but david boyle he had to do all that he had to stump it up he did hundreds of thousands and put in the you know converting buildings to do all this and then still pay the doc the, the bbc who he, he was actually providing a service for there was no argument it's like if he would said well look just let me store them they went, no no we want this sort of money and it was it was quite a remarkable story there's a book in there
2: uh, obviously we're going to make sure there's there's links more links that you can possibly handle to find out the full story neil cole's museum of classic sci-fi there's a website with a dedicated doctor who gallery which you can you can sort of have a virtual tour around to see what's where and plan your visit for when we're all able to do that all over again and ways in which you can support neil cole and the museum in the future so stay tuned for all of that but the the final section of the frequently yeah. asked questions, It's usually geared around our fandom. And I ask people what their warmest and fuzziest memories are. But this time, I want to kind of open that up, really, because I want to talk about the relationship and how yourself and Simon have first crossed paths without physically meeting. Who wants to start telling that story, Simon? Perhaps you should tell us a little bit more about the Hunatics again and, and where that originated from and then how Neil came in.
3: Yeah, absolutely, because th- this is such an important part of my life, or, or has been, um, and, and Neil goes re- literally pretty much right back to the beginning of that, although we kind of didn't really know it at the time. It's a really no, bizarre story. No, um, you know, I set up um, what was, at the time, the West Midlands Lunatics, which was just a local group, a, a, a branch of the Doctor Appreciation Society, and I started that in 1987, and very quickly realised that that, that that other people from outside the West Midlands seemed to be getting on board. and and interested in something that was non that that was not the doctor appreciation society so i just had had, uh, ideas okay i'll start to expand it out a little bit so i started um the, the magazine that we did which was called second dimension which was a monthly magazine I I we, I worked hard to get it in a number of uh, specialist uh, bookshops and and science fiction uh, shops around around the UK. Um, and if you're watching on video, Neil is is actually holding up his, his his bound copies of some second dimensions there because Neil, as we'll pick up the story in a minute was able to get hold of these copies of Second dimension. Because
2: pre-internet fanzines uh, were absolutely uh, essential weren't they to Doctor Who? Absolutely, and the thing is, you know,
3: at the time I was where I still am, which is in the West Midlands near Birmingham, but people had the opportunity to buy this magazine, and it connected people, and I think the thing that we do with the magazine, which is where I think it Neil and I sort of connected across the the miles of that, realizing we were connecting, was we went out really to have a lot of fun with Doctor Who. We loved Doctor Who. We we didn't really care what we were doing, how we were doing it. There was nothing professional in the way we did. We just got on and we had a whale of a time. And I think, Neil, you responded to that. You know, you pick up the story and tell how you got these magazines.
0: At, at this time, I was a mature student in my tw- early twenties because I'd flunked out of art college because I hated it because I, I liked I was I was an Ill- I should have been gone to illustration I should have gone to illustration college and I was I was directionless to get my doll. I ended up doing six no four science A levels in a year and going on to do astrophysics in uh, Newcastle Uni. It was it, I was very isolated as a as a as a person and a fan at the time to be honest because just just. Location and circumstances, and I used to go to Forbidden Planet in Newcastle. I just saw Second Dimension. There was a couple of fanzines. I saw Second Dimension. I absolutely loved it, and it was a very sort of friendly, lovely little magazine. And I just and I I remember subscribing to. It. I had no money as well. Anyway, um, and it was uh, same shop. And I and I remember writing and I remember seeing Simon in it. And I just remember looking forward every two months to getting my issue. And I they were like gold dust. The only things I got then with the VHS were out at the time. And then, um, I mean, I didn't drive, I didn't anything. It was just a very simple little life I had, you know, walking my dog and watching a bit of Doctor Who, studying like an, like an idiot, and reading my second dimension. And, and um, they were very, very special to me. And I remember seeing the staff of the Hunatics were in there with their little columns and things. And then it was when I was on Facebook, I saw um, Simon on there. And I was just like, my God, is that Simon? From <laughs> I recognized him. And it was just amazing. And then I wrote to you and I said, look, these 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 little magazines, I've still got them. And I said, I've bound not only that, years later I managed to get one of these nice volumes and I've bound them. And I was yeah.
3: completely humbled when, when Neil sent me these photos of his bound yeah. collection of these magazines. Yeah.
0: You know, let, let's be honest,
3: I poured a heck of a lot of love into those magazines in the you same way that Neil does with yeah. the with the with the um, restoration of the of the, the costumes that he does because this was pre-internet days, I had no idea. I would I would spend, I would be up till three o'clock in the morning doing these magazines to get to the printers and then they'd go off and then they'd get sent out. I wouldn't know where they were going. Um, and so <laughs> there was no real con- communication with people that were reading them. So literally, Twenty years later, to get this email from Neil with his photos of these copies, and he—I he, I know you said Neil at the time that they were a lifeline to they you. They were a lifeline because, because yeah, yeah. they sort of connected you a to real life and b to Doctor
0: Who fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that I mean, to me—it's fair me, to say—for me at the time, I was—I'd suffered years ago, and I'm very out about this with mental health issues and all sorts of things. And it was a lifeline. I mean, I was—I was very good at working, and you know, I was a very hard—I was a grafter, always being a grafter, but very isolated and they were just this little chink of light and connected me to other people that had the same passion that I had and they were incredibly important and they were just, and they're very well, lovely little magazines and I still take them out every so often and have a flick through, love them.
3: And and yet still, until a couple of years ago, we still hadn't met because obviously, Birmingham and Newcastle are a very long way apart. And yeah. so it's not something I, you know, I wish I was close yeah. to now. We'd go down the pub. We wouldn't at the moment because of the pandemic, but we would yeah, go yeah. down the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but so, we, so we met a couple of years ago for the first time. We just, we, oh, we, yeah, we just went to the pub and sat,
0: sat just, yeah, yeah, And I got Simon to sign my copy, which I uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll never forget that, you know, if you told me I'd meet and have a, an evening in the pub with Simon at the time, it's signed there. <laughs> That was the issue I just picked up randomly, I won't see it because the light's shining, I randomly picked it up from Forbidden Planet, amazing. Obviously,
2: for people out there who've never seen one, never read one, who weren't around at the time, how many of those did you produce in the end, Simon? Oh crumbs, you've
0: you've put me on the spot,
3: well basically we did it for about four years, three and a half, four years, um, a monthly magazine, so so what's that, about 30, 40 issues uh, we did in total. We never managed to quite get to full color but they ended up um They're really uh, good professionally printed on glossy paper uh, you know with about 30 pages in there
2: it was a, a uh, league ahead of any other fanzine at the time in terms of production standards and and yeah. content the, the word count <laughs>
3: Yes, absolutely. And it was and it was absolutely the labour of love, not just for me, but for everybody that worked on them. And there were a lot of people that, you know, I can't take solo credit for it in the
0: slightest. You're talking about fuzzy memories. I had my a second dimension and then these little things came out which are Harlequin miniatures. I remember and, these Harlequin miniatures in some yeah, early nineties, the, weren't the, they? They were amazing Harlequin miniatures because they were such a range of figures. You could get a draw-in You could get a <laughs> reel. You know, you could get you know king Peladon. these are tiny
2: figures aren't they for people yeah, who no. aren't aware of harlequin mini- miniatures they were heavily advertised at the time and the idea was it was through gaming shops sort of games workshop style thing so you'd planet. buy the yep. you'd buy these figures you'd be able yeah. to paint them wouldn't you neil
0: and do whatever what, you what, wanted with them what i did was i'd be you'd go into your own little world creating dioramas now that i've, done I've this never one seen anything you, but- quite like that but here's one, that I, and this is one I did not as good as that a one. A full diorama
2: again, of the tunnel from Day of the Daleks, with
0: Daleks and Ogrons. I don't know if you can see this one. You could buy war machines. War machines! I just think, for the museum, I thought, this was something that I did years ago. It was like a quiet inner world you could go into. And, like, yeah. like you could put in... You could afford to buy multiple creatures. So, like, my Ogron, the Day of the Daleks, it's a lot of critters coming well, out there. Well, it has
3: to be said. Uh, <laughs> it has to be said. <laughs> you know, the, the, the diorama uh, you know, of Day of the Daleks is far... Yeah are oh, more impressive than the one that appears on
0: screen. It's so incredible. Anyway, but it was it, lovely do, because I'm a sculptor, I could sculpt the the bridge and everything. Because what the idea of the museum is trying to have a prop from each story or as many stories as you can. Obviously, I'm never going to do that. So I can actually put these little dioramas in. And I thought that would be quite fun. Absolutely. And I think, again, the thing
3: is, because your museum is, and, and honestly, I know we keep on saying this, but seriously, it is the best treat that any doctor who fan can have at the moment in the uk and i know it's closed at the moment because of covid but once this madness is over and you can get out to neil's museum in northumberland it is the best day out you will ever spend as a doctor who fan and because it's such a personal collection to have those dioramas in there that you have personally made, A, they are beautifully made, but B, it just lends more to the credibility of that personal collection. It's your, this is your stuff, Neil,
0: that, some this, that you are generous what, what it is, it's a very small museum, as you know, Simon, but there's a hell of a lot in it. And I've been to other exhibitions where, basically, what I always say is, my museum's got the same amount in, you just don't have to walk very far, you know? I think these little miniatures allow you to, to tell a sort of visual narrative in a different way again. And there's something about going between the two scales that, I don't know, mm. I just... Well, it's I beautiful, it I think it's a lovely
3: Instagram. idea. Chances are most Doctor Who fans at some point in their life will have tried to either make a, a little model from scratch or they'll have made yeah. a Sevens model or they would have painted one yeah, of the yeah. fine art castings lead figures. You know, we've all done it at some point. So it's something we can all relate to.
2: The museum continues to expand on all sorts of different levels. The story itself continues. Uh, We're going to put you on the spot before we drop you back on planet Earth. Well, actually, you're never on planet Earth, are you? (laughs) planet neil (laughs) yes it's what we call lightning pick time imagine imagine this neil okay yeah somebody gets a flat tire in allendale okay not far from your place they're huffing and puffing staring at the car they haven't got a spare they need they need some help so they they knock your door and you help them maybe fix their car whatever and during the conversation you just have to mention that you're the curator of the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi and that you love Doctor Who, and they turn round to you and they they look at you blankly and say, Doctor Who? What's that? I'd like to know, which DVD of which story, I know you're going to go classic, which DVD of which story (laughs) would you pass them a copy of and say, here you go, this is the ideal entry point. This is where you should start.
0: God. That's a horrible question, Dan. <laughs> I'm a
2: horrible person, fair. Neil.
0: One ruddy story. One
2: story. One.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just so hard. I okay, said recently... have to. Thank you. I said recently, okay, recently I I would have said, I, I did say that if I made Doctor Who now and I was given the production yeah. job, I would go back to Inferno. That's not really, that's, what's the word? It's not, um, it's not
2: atypical of Doctor it's Who, is not- it?
0: No, it's, it's not. It not possibly doesn't represent. I'd possibly go for the Ark in Space. I uh, found it
3: space. really tough when when Dan asked me this question. I found it really tough. It took me a moment to think of it. And if I remember correctly, I think I said the robots of death.
0: You did. No, it's a good choice. From the slightly further on, I love Earthshock. Favorite stories is Santoran Experiment, hands down. But the Ark in Space introduces it takes Harry from Earth puts him in a space station and you get to know a lot about, the. you get enough about the Doctor. With the Ark in Space, why it's so
2: good, that story in particular, mm. it, re- it reopened the universe of Doctor Who. I know that Pertwee's Doctor yeah. got out and about a little in the latter half of his of his run, mm. but it was still an extension of what had gone before. It, it was still really ostensibly tied to the Earth. Now, the Doctor was free to roam and in a brand new body and to make a new history and it felt like when you go back and watch the story now it does feel like something's almost beginning again with that yeah it's the first story
0: i showed my daughter and doctor who club and this was before the new series came on to a bunch of nine-year-olds who'd never seen doctor who before i put on the ark in space and i also did that for my daughter and my daughter loves the wirren and loves that whole thing now she obviously they seem to get the concept from that story. So that's quite interesting. So that's your answer then, isn't it? It is
3: the Ark in Space, clearly, because that's the I'm one you chose space. to start with. Yeah.
2: Is Neil Cole's Doctor Who Club still going at school?
0: Yeah. It not at the minute, because in COVID, well, you know, we can't uh, mix children bubbles in, in at yeah. school. So it's been on... And I've got unfortunately, I've got a bunch of diehard fans now who are now about 12, and bless them, they have been asking me every week, is it on again? I was like, no, I know so they are just... All these are, kids,
2: year after year after year, uh, generations of kids have come through your school and yeah. through your Doctor Who Club, and you've mm-hmm. helped grow the, the love of the Classic Who and, and isn't it interesting,
3: because it just goes to show that even the kids of today do
0: love Classic Who, they don't need Modern Who. Here's my three, I show Doctor Who Club, the first three every year, every year. Yeah. Ark in Space, Earth Shock because the Cybermen are so bloody good in it. I agree. And and it's got the, the last two episodes, episode three particularly, the build-up and the tension, it's great. And the other one is the special edition of Dave of the Daleks. It's damn hot, I think. It, it, it's a great story. You've got Nick Briggs' voices are fantastic on it. It just irons out. And for a young person who's used to seeing fast-cut editing, the fight sequences in it, particularly the, bit with the, what, the scene where the, the Ogons come in and attack Pertwee in, the, uh, in their study are so nicely cut now that the kids are just like, wow, you know? The original, I love it to bits. However, there is no denying the shortfalls of the Dalek numbers and the, the slowness of the the bits. But the special edition, I recommend that as a new Who watch to someone who's just a new Whoer.
2: I love the fact that this club has been going on since before
0: the series came back oh, and it's still it's been going been on, on now. going on since. Before, 19... during, and after
2: that massive explosion of interest with, with Russell T Davies. And Interestingly, Davies
0: right, here. when Tennant was on, numbers were up to 60 in my Doctor Who club. 60? Right. We even wrote to the BBC complaining in an English lesson about um, Torchwood. Because <laughs> we all agreed that the Torchwood action figures... Bearing in mind it was an adult series, should not be on the shelves in the toy shops next to the Doctor Who figures because their <laughs> kids were buying them, and yet it dealt with some fairly heady stuff. And my Doctor Who clubbers, who, let's be honest, are not daft, they all thought that was just naughty marketing. Anyway, but it then dropped significantly. In Doctor Who club at the minute, it's down to about eight or nine. And that'll tell you That's something. 60 tenant start of Matt Smith. It's down to what it started in. The first year it was... a. Friday lunchtime, I said, look, bring your packed lunch in, we'll put an old Doctor Who on, watch that, I'll show you. We'll sit and watch that, got them, who built the Dalek, and then now, it's now what, gosh, nearly 20 years later, we're back down <laughs> to the original number. Read into that what you will. I speak for all other Doctor Who fans, I think. Thank
2: you for doing that. I think that's just a, a wonderful difficult. gift
0: to give to children, it's, those it's experiences. It's not a hard thing to do, Dan. Just sit and watch your programme and enthuse about something and seeing young people get... Pleasure from it is really just not a difficult.
2: They're going to they remember that always. It's it was really when I
0: took them to meet Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, and Sophie Aldred. I mean, I've got the press cuttings from it on the <laughs> TV. That was amazing. We got like royal because I, I went in the holidays and I said to them, "You've got to wear your school uniform." I went, "Ah, oh, yeah." And it was in a half term, but it, it, I, I was going to go by myself. I thought I can't not take them. <laughs> oh, yeah. But because I took <laughs> the I kids, like we got that. we got we got the royal truck car We got, you know the gold golden carpet so we were on all the press we're in the front row it was great absolutely great it's a wonderful story the whole the
2: whole thing is wonderful and yes i'm going to say it again there's going to be links to neil's museum so you can find out some more about that and all the various things that he's doing we're going to keep on putting links in the show notes you're never going to be wondering where you have to go to see to enjoy and to book your visit to the museum of classic sci-fi and and to listen and keep an ear out for everything that neil carl's got coming up i'm sure it's going to be uh, explosive and fantastical and all the other things that come with your life and the way you the way you seem to live it's it's a fantastic story to hear about thanks for sharing it with us
0: thank you very much guys and
2: that's the that's the time rotor beginning to whirl in the background and it means that uh, yes just like a dinner we're done listen and look out for the next type 40 wherever you found this on Apple Podcasts for example or on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play Podbean, Spotify, Pandora and don't forget over on YouTube you can stream Type 40 there on the Fandom Podcast Network's own channel subscribe and and make sure you turn on the little bell to get the notifications when there's a new episode to the device of your choice as ever you can get in touch through our social medias, Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho even email us type 40 Doctor Who at gmail.com or if you're feeling really brave <laughs> you can uh, you can go and get some real time extra dimensional chit chat when you step into the Type 40 Facebook group I'm scattered across all of space and time but mostly on Instagram and Twitter as the Spacebook, posting about whatever catches my eye imagination or both in popular culture that's inside and outside of the TARDIS. Simon where are your coordinates from Galactic Centre where can people find you?
3: Uh, you can always come and find me on uh, Facebook, where if you search for the Hunatics, and we've talked about them a lot on this, you go and search for Doctor Who the Hunatics, and you'll find us there, and I'm uh, the admin on that,
2: come and say hello. Yeah, I think there's even some second dimensions to download. There, there are. If you know where to look dimensions. in the file section, that's yeah, unresable. Go and, go and, go and explore rare. the files section. you'll find them, yeah. Rare items. You can't sign those digital files, sadly, Simon, but spiritually, you can, you can. I'm you signing can, everyone. You can bless them like the Pope. Yes, <laughs> you can. And Neil, where can people find the museum? Give us the link. I bet you know it's well. About
0: basically, heart, um, the best place to follow the project—it's a blog—is the Facebook page of the museum. Yep. Is, is Neil Cole's Adventures and Science Fiction Sci-Fi Museum, which I wrote five years ago and it's a silly long title, so I apologise. <laughs> but that's where you go. Just put Neil Cole's Adventures and Sci-Fi in Facebook; it'll come up. Uh, there's a website, Museum of Classic Sci-Fi, although that is just a it's sort of a general page. Follow, Please follow the Facebook page because it's a blog and I, uh, I regularly put on stories that are happening. It could be the the ceiling falling in like it did recently to the fact we had mice that ate uh, the Graf Vinder costume. It's all on there. What more could you want?
3: And photos of the dioramas are on there.
0: You've been posting photos yeah. of the dioramas. So we've uh, talked about those. So anybody that's intrigued yeah, that's- about these dioramas, you'll find them on Facebook. And the Alan Dalek Mark II is coming, the all-metal. It's a totally all-metal Dalek. Alan Dalek Mark II has been made by one guy, including someone who's worked on the show, and it's basically going to be amazing. amazing. And Sophie Aldred's coming as well to to redo a Well, you must come
2: back onto Type 40 and tell us all about that close to the time Mm. and Mm. get people stoked up, because that sounds unmissable too. Mm. We'll always have the time if you have the space here on Type 40, but thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.